Federal Reserve notes. The Federal Reserve is a central private bank. They regulate and set standards for all of the other like banks around the country. Welcome to another episode of Dr. Brooke on the Block. It's time to grab a seat, buckle up, and take a ride with me through the wild, wild west of the Web3 universe, where we're going to learn all about coins and tokens, NFTs and contracts, digital real estate and the metaverse, and so much more. There is a lot to get through on the block, but I am here to pave the way and help you avoid those nasty pitfalls and rug pulls so you don't get hurt. I'm going to also introduce you to some interesting characters along the way. Are you ready? Your ride starts now. Hey, hey, Dr. Brooke here, the Crypto Proctor with another epic, amazing adventure through the Wild West with you today. And we are going to be talking about the future of fiat currency and the history of fiat currency here in the United States. It's what I understand the most about, uh, but I would imagine that there is similar uh, things going on in other countries with the monetary system there. But we're going to be talking specifically more about the U.S. uh, history on money and fiat currency. So with that, make sure your seatbelts are tightened. Make sure your arms and legs are in the vehicle at all times. I do not want anyone getting hurt. Let's define fiat currency before we even get started. Fiat currency essentially basically means that it is a currency or monetary system that is backed by the people's trust in the government. So if the government says that my $1 bill is worth $1, I can exchange that piece of paper for something else and get that um, good or service. And the person providing that good or service to me gets that $1 and that $1 holds value for them as well. Uh, That is fiat currency in a nutshell. That's what the definition of it means. But I really want to get back to let's take this all the way back in time a little bit to the brief history of the money system here in the United States. So in 1775, Congress authorized the issuance of the American dollar to finance the Revolutionary War. This is in 1775. This is a year before the Declaration of Independence. 1775, uh, Congress authorized the issuance of the American dollar to finance the Revolutionary War. Now, the word dollar was already in common use, and it was based on the Spanish dollar that had been widely circulated in colonies in Spain. So terminology dollar was used. We kind of like said, okay, we're going to use the the term dollar as well. Uh, And that new paper currency basically became known throughout the different colonies of the United States, right? Those 13 colonies uh, on the East Coast that made up the United States at that time. So war continued to wage on, war continued to wage on, and um, the debt for the war continued to increase, right? We know, well, most of us know, and if you don't know, debt is a huge, I mean, debt, uh, war is a huge business, and war requires a lot of financial resources 
to fund, to make happen, you know, paying the military, paying for ammunition, paying for all of these things. It is a huge, huge, huge um, aspect of the economy, which is in a way like kind of sad um, that it, it requires so much financial resources. And it's such a negative thing. Like war is such a sad thing. Oh, gosh, I digress. So by 19 or by 1781, so 1775, now we're in 1781, the uh, continentals, the the money, the continental, that was what the currency was known as throughout those colonies, it became so worthless in 1781. So only six years later, it became so worthless. Let that settle in. People stopped actually using it. So forget this, this has no value to us, we're going to stop using it. So really the term not worth a continental, that's not worth a continental, became almost like a slang expression that lingered until the early 20th century. That's not worth a continental. That's not worth a continental. What? So basically the U.S. Constitution then, you know, and Bill of Rights in 1791, 10 years after that, Uh, needed to develop a workable financial system in stable currency. This stable currency is what they needed to create because now people are not utilizing it. There's things that are, they're happening. Obviously, uh, uh, countries are stronger with a stable economy, with a stable dollar, all of those things, right? So Alexander Hamilton, who is on the $100 bill, uh, he was the first secretary of the treasury And he proposed to Congress that the first bank of the United States was to handle payment of the Revolutionary War debt. So the bank, the first bank of the United States was going to say, "Okay, we're going to handle this debt that the war created and we're going to control currency. At least that that's what Hamilton was proposing to the uh, Congress. Well, then a year later in 1792, Congress passed the Coinage Act, which established the U.S. Mint and made the dollar, the U.S. dollar, U.S. dollar, the official currency of the United States. Both gold and silver were issued by the mint, while the National Bank issued paper money. So we have the mint the the gold and silver coins were issued by the mint and the national bank issued the paper paper money so we had gold and silver backing the paper money uh and that went on for a little bit of time okay well now dun 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 enters the federal reserve so now here's the federal reserve looking to establish a central banking system you know, and Hamilton, this kind of started with Alexander Hamilton and the first bank of the United States. So Federal Reserve came in in 1913 and basically said, look, we're going to control all of this instead of have all this other, you know, the U.S. dollar, these um, continentals, you know, the U.S., the U.S., uh, the first bank of the United States, excuse me. Uh, so Here enters the Federal Reserve, and the Federal Reserve was debated in Congress. Some wanted a central bank. Some uh, 
Congress members wanted a central bank. They said, okay, we as the whole government, we don't want just each state individually having their own, you know, currency and financial system. We will control the financial system and then send money out to the different states. So some wanted this central bank under public control through the government and others wanted private banking to remain in control. Private banking meaning state to state, and not have the entire uh, government involved in this central thing. So we know at the end of the day that the Federal Reserve ended up winning that debate. uh, And the end result at that time in 1913 was a compromise. So we're going to do a decentralized central bank, keyword decentralized central bank, that balanced the competing interests of the public and private control. A decentralized central bank that balanced the competing interest of public and private control. I'm gonna break that down a little bit more. But 12 cities were chosen as the sites for Federal Reserve banks. So one, two, three, all the way to 12. We have 12 different cities that are have Federal Reserve uh, banks located in them. Well, the Federal Reserve, commonly called the Fed, we know the Fed, right? The Fed is the one that increases interest rates and the Fed does this and they do quantitative tightening and they do these things and they're maybe feeling dovish or they're feeling, you know, all these different ways. Like we have terminology, especially in the economy right now, Um, you know, the Fed is trying to uh, uh, defeat. like defeat inflation and things like that. Well, they're responsible for conducting the nation's monetary policy by setting these interest rates and supervising and regulating private banking. So credit unions or different private banks within the um, states, the different states, you know, and you have bigger banks like U.S. Bank and um, Bank of America. But the Federal Reserve is what regulates and supervises all of these private bankings. They consider all of them, no matter how big you are, as private banking, because you, at that point, Bank of America is not the Federal Reserve. They are regulated and uh, supervised by the Federal Reserve. So the their their purpose, the Fed's purpose, is to influence money and credit conditions in pursuit of high employment rates and a stable economy. So they're responsible to make sure that the economy is running well. So we know that it supplies money and it buys and sells U.S. dollars in foreign exchange markets to keep the value of the dollar stable. So it purchases and sells U.S. dollars in foreign exchange markets to keep the value of this dollar stable. Well, up until 1900, now we're, we, we've said 1913, the Federal Reserve was enacted, but up until 1900, prior to that, what was happening is the, the U.S. had a standard of both silver and gold, I mentioned earlier, that backed the currency of that, that time. So Congress had passed the Gold Standard Act in 1900, which set the value of the dollar based on one and a half grams of gold. So every paper dollar could be redeemed for an equivalent in gold. 
So you take your paper value, you had your exchange of gold and service, you can take that paper and go and get the gold out of that reserve uh, and exchange that. Well, the gold standard limited the government's ability to print money and handle debt because the amount of paper money in circulation had to equal the amount of gold and silver in those reserves. Well, that became a really big problem during World War I when the government needed to print more money to handle the expenses of war. Now, we are sitting here, when this episode is being recorded, post-COVID. You would have had to have been living under a rock to not understand that what the government did during the time of COVID was print more money. Now, essentially, they're not sitting there with printers printing physical dollars. We're moving like in this time and age, you know, early on in the early 1900s, 1930s, there was actual paper money being printed. But now this is just digital ledgers adding ones and zeros and they're sending out electronic payments to your bank account and, you know, all of those kind of things. Very little actual money was actually transmitted during physical money. I mean, physical papers, coins, all of those kind of things during the time of the mass printing of stimulus checks and all sorts of things when COVID was happening. So we know now, or from early 1900s, you know, during World War One, they needed to print more money. They they didn't have the ability to print more money because, again, gold was being held as a reserve, holding it up against the gold, like saying, "This how much gold we have. This is the ceiling in which we can print more money. We have to wait." Um, like we, we, there's nothing we can do. So during that time frame, they had to suspend the actual uh, t- like the gold standard at the time of World War One twice. They suspended that two times. That seems so crazy to think about in terms of like what that looks like nowadays. You know, we we literally suspended the gold standard two times uh, during World War One. Okay, Great Depression happens. Now the Great Depression happens and every major currency around the globe, not just the United States, abandoned the gold standard completely. So it's gone. And people began to hoard their gold and demand that the treasury exchange their paper money for gold. People are looking at their paper money and saying, this means nothing to me. This is so worthless. I want you to give me my gold back. In 1933, the federal government suspended the gold standard yet again. So twice during World War I, now again in 1933, they suspended. And Congress banned the private ownership of significant amounts of gold. Hey, I'm sorry, you can't own that much gold. That's ours. We're taking that back. God forbid that ever happens with Bitcoin. Um Like Bitcoin truly is a decentralized system. Uh, But can you imagine the government coming in and saying, hey, these 21 million Bitcoin all belong to us? Like we're confiscating it. We're not giving it back. Holy hecking cow, like crazy. So they banned that private ownership in 1933. Well, 1934 then brought on the Gold Reserve Act, which allowed the government to decide the amount of gold a paper dollar represented and to nationalize its store of gold bullion. 
if you're not catching the big picture here, what the government is doing is the government is rewriting the rules every step of the way that if it doesn't first fit their narrative. If it doesn't work in one way they're doing it, then they're just creating all these different standards. Now you have the gold standard. Now you have the gold reserve act that says, Hey, no, we can take basically these amounts. We're going to decide the gold value, not the one and a half grams anymore. We'll make the decision on what the gold, uh, paper value mix is, and we're going to decide how much we store. So now we have a U.S. dollar that is built on the quasi gold standard. Like what, like this has, meh, like it has no basic like value. So paper dollars are still backed by gold in 1934. They're still backed by gold, but the dollar for dollar relationship was gone. So essentially that one and a half grams of gold to $1 maybe became like $20 to one and a half grams or whatever they decided. So a, in 1900, 34 years prior, a paper dollar represented a dollar's worth of gold, but that was no longer true. More dollars were printed than gold was available to even back them. Here enters World War II and U.S. economic interests became more multinational as world markets began to emerge and the U.S. took center stage in international politics. In 1963, 1963, this is my point in which I make all the time. The U.S. does not have its own dollar. The U.S. does not have its own dollar. In 1963, the words payable to the bearer on demand were removed from all newly issued Federal Reserve notes. The Federal Reserve is a central private bank. They regulate and set standards for all of the other like banks around the country. But the Federal Reserve is not a bank that is based on the United States. The United States owes money. We have we issue, you know, we have debt. We say, hey, Federal Reserve, can you make us more money? Because we're having a, a global crisis here. We need to get our people, you know, funds and stimulus checks and all sorts of things. So those Federal Reserve notes are not our country dollar bill. So um, not to go far deep into a rabbit hole, uh, you know, with conspiracy, you can definitely look this up. You can make your own uh, thought processes and ideas around it. But John F. Kennedy, when he was president, he was getting ready to issue an executive order taking the United States off of the Federal Reserve note policy and creating a U.S. dollar so that we no longer had these trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of debt, basically like the Federal Nerve, Federal Reserve catching us by our, our throats and our necks, he was going to sign something in place. Well, he didn't make it. So, um, I mean, we know what happened um, in the case of his assassination. We just don't know, you know, more details. It's just interesting that that kind of happened after that. So, as of 1968, when they released, removed those words off of the paper in 1963, the words payable to the bearer on demand were removed. Well, then you can no longer re like redeem your Federal Reserve notes for gold or silver. Like now you didn't even have the option. It wasn't like you could, you know, go in there and get all that. That, that wasn't. And 
all of it was removed off the coins. All of it was taken off like a couple years after that. So it was taken off the paper notes first and then all the coins that were made and created in issuance from the Federal Reserve, those same words were taken off the coins um, as well. So 1971, we stopped selling gold to former foreign investors who wanted to trade their U.S. dollars for gold. So we just completely cut them off. We said, you know, we're not going to sell this anymore. And in 1973, the U.S. devalued the dollar um, and forced a second devaluation only two weeks later. Like, what the freak is happening, guys? Like, the U.S. government, like, this is, I'm not trying to paint a really bad picture here, but I want you to understand the the history of money and where it comes from and why the the case for cryptocurrency and why the case for Bitcoin uh, and uh, deflationary assets and, you know, uh, currency such as crypto is very vi- uh, valuable even in this infancy state, okay? There's a lot of things to still work out in the whole crypto digital uh, currency state, but I just want you to see the history of where we've come from to where it looks like we might be heading and to things just to be mindful of and, and, and keep your you know wits about you and don't let yourself kind of fall in, in, into all these traps or thinking that, you know, oh, it's just gonna be safe because the government got me. Well, you're clearly seeing this picture here that the government is just literally playing by their own rules and doing what they want to do. So um, after that second devaluation um, from the dollar, only two weeks later, it was clear to everyone in finance and in the government that there was simply not enough gold to back the amount of currency needed to maintain economic growth. So President Ford repelled the prohibition on the public's ability to own gold. The gold standard was officially over. Our currency was no longer backed by gold. And in 1976, the government made it officially official official. The definition of the dollar in terms of gold was removed from the statue. And our money at that point purely became one of pure fiat currency. Taking it all the way back to the beginning of this ride, fiat currency is merely no backing to any stable asset whatsoever other than a person's trust in the government that says this dollar bill is worth $1 bill. And I trust that because they say so. Crazy. All currency is fiat money. All currency. The entire modern modern world, not just the United States, operates with fiat currency as the medium exchange. Essentially, like it gets to set the value of the paper money and coins and the system would not work without the consent of the public. Now, part of this public that is in the cryptocurrency space that is working with blockchain technology and changing things is not trying to play with this system. In the early um, years of Bitcoin, people were transacting and making sales and doing things and exchanging value in Bitcoin in Bitcoin. Now we're seeing that a lot more these days. um, And now we're coming to a state in the world, in the monetary system, where now the governments of the world are creating their own digital currency. They are creating their own digital currency because they understand that this train is not stopping. 
sure, people may want to say like we're utilizing digital currency now, you know, Venmo, PayPal, EB, uh, the transfers, electronic transfers, all of these things that are happening. You swipe your debit card, you swipe your credit card. Those are all electronic transfers of money to and from places. Yes, we are operating with digital currency, but the central bank, the Federal Reserve is now working on creating the CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency, where they will literally be able to track every piece of, of information, of data you are utilizing. Because right now, you know, people who are still using paper money, you know, they, they can't be tracked for taxes or they're, you know, whatever they're doing. Um, at this point, the government is saying, hey, see all that crazy Bitcoin, see all that crazy Ethereum, look at all this volatility, look at all the insanity happening in the world. We're going to give you our digital CBDC and you can just transact with that. This is not necessarily a great thing because what they're going to do is they're going to take that everything, all the crazy psycho stuff that's been happening like right now in the wild, wild west of Web3, and they're going to use it to basically create the story of why CBDC is necessary and why people need that. And so you need to pay attention, pay attention to what's happening. This is not a freak out episode. This is not like worries you episode. This is just to understand how money flow happens, how money flow happens. And, you know, there's all kinds of things obviously going on behind the scenes. Um, but just pay attention that, you know, it may be something to really look into now uh, to see how you can be a proactive player in the digital currency space without getting involved and tangled up back again, yet again, because this is what the people are, are trying to do globally on a global scale is get untangled from the government. Uh, we don't want to get tangled back in by utilizing a digital currency. Uh, China's already working on testing their digital uh, yin, or um, I apologize, I think I got that wrong. Yan, I, I forget what their dollar is called, but the Chinese are already working on testing uh, how that is all going to work for them. And uh, you may know what's going on in China and what kind of uh, uh, economy they're doing. So I don't know that that's necessarily a great thing. So. I <laughs> let's end this on a lighter note that we are in an amazing time and space uh, for us to learn, to grow, to evolve, to get in like financially well, to get physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually well in all those areas. I am here to help you on that journey. And as we pull this ride into the station, make sure you exit to the right and I will see you on the next one. Bye. You made it. Congratulations. That wasn't so bad, was it? I hope you laughed and learned a little bit more about this Web3 universe and how simple and fun it can really be. Would you be so kind as to leave us a review and share it with your friends and family? It would mean so much to get this out to more people as we embark on the greatest transfer of wealth that has ever happened in human history. Can't wait to see you on the next one.